Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. So glad that you are joining us wherever you happen to be right now. And I was born in 1969 in the hills of East Tennessee, Chattanooga, God's country. And as a young child growing up in the 70s, I remember going to church camp and singing songs like Jesus Loves Little Children and Kumbaya and Pass It On. And of course, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I know some of you ex-hippies out there with your beads and your bell-bottoms, you probably sing that song as well, You and Me, Brother, in His Hands. Now, as much as I love that song for nostalgic reasons, I really like the version that Pastor Joe led us in this morning so much better. Um, It's more realistic and honest. Remember, we sang, all around is fading, nothing seems to last, each day is filled with sorrow. So it's more realistic, it's more honest, it's more transparent. But at the same time, it's also infinitely more hopeful. I fear no evil, for you are with me, strong to deliver, mighty to save. And this, in essence, is why we are in 1 Peter this season, taking a little break from Genesis. See, Peter is writing to a suffering people who are in desperate need of a living hope. And as I was um, listening to, to Pastor Josh, who's the lead pastor over our East congregation, he had a great quote from last week, and I'm going to totally steal it from him this morning. And he says that, you know, hope is not a Christian thing. Hope is a human thing. And that is so right. Every single person on planet Earth is looking for hope trusting in something. And seasons like this, do they not, they reveal something about what you and I have been hoping in. It reveals where we've put our trust, where we've put our security. And Peter is writing because he wants to give us an enduring hope, a living hope. And last week we, we introduced this book by talking about the idea that this living hope is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Peter tells us that it's through Jesus that he has caused us to be born again and that he didn't just begin the process of our salvation, he is going to carry us till the end. That's why he uses words like kept and guarded to describe this idea that God is standing watch over our souls, that he is guarding us for an inheritance that is unfading, imperishable, undefiled. In other words, everything this world is not. And as we Continue on in Peter. Peter is going to prepare here in verse 13 and following to sort of pivot. He's going to go from theology to practice. He's going from doctrine to life. He's going to tell us to prepare our minds for action. He's going to tell us to pursue holiness. He's going to, he's going to exhort us to be a witness, to be on mission, to serve and die for the Lord, to serve and die for the world. But before we get there, tucked right into the, the, the tail end of this amazing section on living hope are, are three or four little verses here. And these little verses, I think, are, are the glue. They are the bridge. They are the connection point 
from this amazing salvation Peter is talking about to living a life that's transformed by the grace of God. And let me just kind of encapsulate what I think these four verses that we read this morning, what they're saying, sort of in my words, and then we're going to unpack them together. And, and, and here's the essence, I think, of, of what we find in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 13. Christian, set your hope fully, set your hope on Jesus by remembering your salvation. Ponder, study, and meditate on the grace of Jesus Christ that has been revealed to you in the word of God. And as you do this, a living hope will be weaved into your soul just as it was for the prophets. I'm going to read that one more time. And if you miss it, you can, you can go back and watch this again later. But, but it's compelling. I think we need to let this sort of seep into our souls. Christian, set your hope on Jesus by remembering your salvation. Ponder, study, and meditate on the grace of Jesus Christ that has been revealed to you in the word of God. And as you do this, a living hope will be weaved into the fabric of your soul just as it was for the prophets. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Lord, it's not a matter of do we have hope, it's where is it? Where have we placed it? Or, or even uh, more pertinent this morning, where have we misplaced it? And so, Lord, you are calling us to set our hearts firmly on the grace of Jesus Christ by remembering what he has done for us, by remembering him. And so, Lord, guide our time this morning. Um, the same spirit that caused us to be born again, the same spirit that resurrected you, Jesus Christ, from the dead, is the same spirit that lives in us, and we're asking for his help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two points this morning, two points only. They both evolve around this idea of Peter's discussion of the prophets. And here they are. First, we're going to talk about the prophecies of the prophets. And then we're going to talk about the posture of the prophets. Let's look first at the prophecies. Who were these prophets that Peter is talking about in verse 10? It seems pretty clear that Peter is referring to those people, those men who came before Jesus, primarily in the Old Testament, who spoke on behalf of God to the people of God. It's those figures you grew up learning about in Sunday school on the felt boards or um, the very bad graphic clip art on your Sunday school material, but men like Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and the last prophet of the Old Testament running into the New Testament, John the Baptist. And Peter reminds us that what they were prophesying and writing about in essence, and he tells us in verse 10, is this salvation. In other words, the salvation that has appeared, that Peter has been talking about, the salvation of Jesus Christ, through whom we have salvation of our souls. Peter says, this in fact is what the whole Old Testament was about. This is what they have been, the writers, the, the men who've been prophesying, have been pointing to. And you know, it reminds us again that the Old Testament is not just a neat set of stories or moralisms in which we draw life lessons from, although we do draw life lessons. But they were 
actually filled, and here Peter reminds us in verse 11, with the Spirit of Christ. So in other words, as the Old Testament writers were writing, receiving these prophecies, they were being inspired by the Spirit of Christ to write about Christ himself. And Peter emphasizes this to us in his second letter, 2 Peter 1, listen to this. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, the Old Testament prophets weren't just making this up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Old Testament writers received these prophecies and they wrote down these prophecies and they preached this word to the people of Israel, what Peter is saying is that there are some things that they knew, some things they understood, but some things that they didn't. In fact, many things that they didn't. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. For example, Habakkuk. And God is revealing these visions to him and giving him these prophecies about the future and the day of the Lord. And Habakkuk is just saying, what are you doing, God? I don't, I don't understand this. And God is saying, Habakkuk, if, you, if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe me. So there's some things they, they, they didn't know. They didn't know when this was going to happen, when the Messiah was going to come. We, they didn't know who the Messiah was going to be exactly. They, there, there was all this stuff shrouded in mystery. But Peter wants us to know there was something that was very clear to them. And this is so important for us, Four Oaks. As we are coming to the word of God and we're saying, God, distill your word into our heart. Give us a living hope through your word. What, what are this, the, the, the essential things Peter is pointing us here to that we need to grab a hold of through the word of God? And verse 11 tells us. Here Peter tells them as that as the prophets were inquiring, as they were searching, that the spirit of Christ in them was indicating that what they were predicting were the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, if you were a Jew, and if you were a prophet, if you were one of the disciples, if you were Peter, this theme of glory would have been easily grasped and easily understood. The theme of the coming glory of the Lord is like the crown jewel in the diadem of the Old Testament. Every Jew knew about this. This was the day that God would return and he would put things right. He would usher in his kingdom. He would eradicate evil. People studying the Old Testament understood this idea of the day of the Lord. Habakkuk writes about it when he says this, For the earth shall be filled with a knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, they knew, even the disciples knew that the Messiah was going to be the one who would usher this in. And in fact, we find in Matthew 16 that Peter, remember some probably 30 years before he writes this letter, he makes his very famous confession to Jesus. Jesus says, who do you guys think I am? Everybody else is debating about who, who I am. Who do you think I am? And what does Peter say? He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Yes, Peter, you are right. 
I will be the one to usher in the glory. And, and let me just pause there for a second and say, I think this is something that we all resonate with right now in this season. That we know when Messiah comes, when Jesus comes again, he is going to set things right. He's going to judge evil. He's going to make things the way they ought to be. And our hearts yearn for it. But Jesus says, Peter, you're right. I am the living Christ, the son of the living God. But, but, the son of man has to suffer first. And Jesus begins to explain to Peter and the rest of the disciples in Matthew 16 the fact that he's got to go to Jerusalem and he's got to be betrayed and he has to die and he has to be put on a wooden cross. And interestingly, what does Peter do when Jesus begins telling them this idea about the suffering Messiah? It says he rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine? Rebukes the God of the universe. To which Jesus retorts what? Get behind me, Satan. You know, I think that's probably a highly underrated parenting technique, right? May or may not try that at home. It's kind of the ultimate parental drop the mic. But it's Jesus' point emphasizing that Peter, before there is glory, there has to be a cross. There has to be a suffering. It's been predicted from the very beginning. And understand, Peter, that the sufferings have to come First, look back at that verse 11 here in 1 Peter 1. It predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent. In other words, the things that flow from that. There is going to be a day of glory, a day of coming, a day of power, a day of, a day of permanent salvation. But, King, but Peter, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, Christian, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, the cross has to come first. See, Jesus says, it's my blood that opens up my glory to you. See, the, the coming king is not good news at all unless you and I get to participate, to be participants in that kingdom. And Jesus says, I have to come and I have to suffer and I have to shed my blood. And this is what we see even in the Old Testament. See, a lot of times we have a misconception that the Old Testament teaches salvation by works, and it's, it's the exact opposite. See, the sacrifices did not take away sin in the Old Testament. In fact, the writer of Hebrew tells us the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It only pointed to the need for a permanent sacrifice. And so in verse 10, when it says that this salvation, even in the Old Testament, has always been by grace, when we understand that, we read the Old Testament in a completely new light. That's been happening for us, hasn't it, in our study of Genesis, as we've seen the grace of God poured out through faith to Abraham. We think about Exodus 34, where Moses tells us that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah and Nineveh. What, what, what is Joseph, Jonah's chief complaint against God and why he doesn't want to go to the Ninevites to preach the gospel? He says, because I know you're a gracious God. I know you're going to save them when they repent. But see, to have glory, you have to have grace. And to have grace, you have to have suffering. And as we're going to see as we unfold this book, the prophet Isaiah and his writings are just embedded all over Peter's letter. And I think it's 
probably Isaiah that Peter has in mind when he says that the Old Testament writers predicted the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And again, this is something incredibly timely for us to hear, for Oaks, especially during this season. We need to be reminded that this life is not the apex of glory. This life is not imperishable. This life is not unchanging. This life is not undefiled. This life, rather, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And the only thing that will order and make sense of what you and I and the world is walking through right now is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that that makes any sort of philosophical, theological, or logical sense. It's the only thing that can bring any kind of closure, that suffering, which we cannot deny, is preparing for us the subsequent glory. And before we leave this point, let me just ask you, where in your life right now do you need to be reminded of that? Where in your life do you need to be reminded that suffering always precedes glory? So that Christ, as he humbles us, will one day exalt us. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your job, your relationships, your dreams, your your plans. So Peter says, we can learn something through the prophecies of these prophets. But we can also learn something through their posture. It's our second point. Let's go there. It says, Peter says, as the prophets received these words and these prophecies from God and wrote them down, and he uses interesting language here. He says, they searched and inquired carefully. Um, one of those Greek words, exateo, means an intensive search or examination. In fact, an, an urgent search. So think about the last time that you lost your keys on your way to work or on your way to the doctor or on your way to something very important. How long and in what manner did you tear up your house looking for your keys? How long did you look? Probably as long as it took, right? Until you found them. And by the way, if you're playing along at home and you have a spare key and you use that and said, that doesn't count, right? Because that destroys the illustration here. You get what I'm saying? You look until you find it. That's the nature of this word. You know, all of us are becoming experts in homeschooling quarantine style during this season. And it's requiring us, many of you as parents, to get proficient in subjects that you haven't studied in years. And what do you do? You have to look into your child's physical science book or their algebra book, and you have to learn and look intently until you finally figure it out and then thank the Lord that this season is temporary, right? Well, this is what Peter is describing as the posture of the prophets as they received these words and prophecies from God and as they wrote them down. They didn't just simply write them down and send them along. It says they pondered over them. They intensely looked. They scrutinized. They were searching. They were asking God to yield his truth in every possible way through those words. John MacArthur puts it, puts it well. This is what he says. You might say it this way. The prophets of the Old Testament made it their life passion to study the great reality 
of salvation, serious desire, consuming passion, not scholarly investigation for the sake of information, but passionate investigation for the sake of doxology and encouragement and hope. You see, what Peter and the prophets are pointing us towards his, here in this text, is a posture that as God's people we are called to take towards the things of God. It's a posture that we are called to take towards his word, towards our salvation. Jesus is saying through Peter, if you're going to have a living hope, church, it doesn't come by osmosis. If you're going to have a living hope, it's not transferred by relationship. If you're going to have an enduring living hope, you have to have roots that go deep. And in order for you and I to have roots that go deep, we have to be people of the book. And it's to that I just want to spend these last few minutes talking to us about. Peter says something interesting here, almost like a throwaway line, but it's not. Look in verse 12. He's talking about this salvation, and he, and, he, and he kind of offhandedly mentions that the angels, in fact, long to look at these things. Now, why would Peter mention angels? Remember, angels are not human. They're heavenly beings, and as such, they stand outside the scope of redemption. In other words, Christ did not come to die for fallen angels, which are demons, He did not come to die for faithful angels because faithful angels are not in need of Christ's atoning work. So what are are angels when it comes to the story of redemption? They are spectators. They're they're eagerly watching. They're they're, they're the people sort of on the couch, in the stadium, in the stands that are, and, and and the nature of the word here is as if straining their necks just to find out, to catch a glance, because they are so curious as to what's going on in the plan of salvation. I remember when our kids were little, and if your kids are so little, you have this experience, and you go to birthday parties, and this is the universal experience of little kid birthday parties. So you get the guests of honor, the boy, the girl, and you stick them in the middle of the room, and this great mound of presents surrounds them. And it's very interesting what happens. All the other little kids come crowding around those presents. And they are not only eager to see what's in the presents, if you're not careful, they will open those presents for the guests of honor. In fact, not only will they open those gifts, they might even try to take one home, right? Because it's universal. It always happens. And what are the adults invariably doing? They're in the background. They're drinking their coffee. They're checking their phone. They're much more casual they're letting the kids enjoy their moment. Oh, they, they, they'll grow up. They'll mature. They'll learn. They'll learn. You understand now why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is being revealed to such as these, these little ones? Because they understand. There is an eagerness and an expectation that children intuitively bring to the table around anything And Peter is reminding us that it is that same intuitiveness, it's that same eagerness that the prophets brought, that the angels brought 
and a question for you and I this season, are you and I bringing that kind of an urgency to our spiritual lives? Are we bringing that sort of urgency, that life and death effort to feed our souls? Or are we just sort of spiritually in the background, sipping our coffee, checking our phone, sort of just carousing down the the path of laissez-faire? And Peter wants to remind us that is not going to get you a loving hope. That is not going to activate the experience of walking in security with the living God. If the angels long to look into these things, Four Oaks, how much more so us? See, the prophets were serving us. They knew that this was not going to, to terminate in them. They knew the best was yet to come. And if they were fighting for that very privilege of knowing the time and the seasons, what is Peter saying? How much more you, believer? What a privilege. The things that they hoped for, things that they were on the outside looking in, trying to peer into the peephole to to see what's behind the curtain. Um, Those things, you now have a front row seat. In fact, not only do you have a front row seat and I have a front row seat, we are on the stage of redemption itself. This drama is being acted out upon us and Peter wants us to open our eyes. He wants our hearts to be stirred up. And see, I think Peter had this particular incident from the life and ministry of Jesus 30 years prior. We hear about it in Luke 10. I think he had this in mind. Listen to this text. Then turning to the disciples, this is Jesus, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is the implication? But you, people of God, that time is now. So I want to to call us here in these last couple of minutes that we have together, I want to call us as a church family this season to remember our salvation, to cultivate hearts that seek after the living, abiding Word of God because it is in them and only in them that you and I are going to be given a living hope. And let me mention just two opportunities, two, two specific application points to take from today. Number one, um, we, I'm going to call us as a church family to study the book of Matthew together. So some of you know that... Um, over this past month, I've been every morning, 8 a.m. on Facebook um, or our live stream going through the book of Acts. It's just about 15 minutes of commentary. Well, I'm going to get us to call us to, to, to read through Matthew in a month. In fact, there's a, if those of you who have the Dwell audio app, you, there's, if you go under plans, there is a plan called Explore Matthew in a Month. And it's going to be a 15-minute devotional where we walk through that day's reading. You can join us live. You can come back and watch it later. But the reason Matthew, let me explain this, the reason Matthew is that Peter is all over that book. We see Peter at his lowest. We see Peter um, struggling. And as we see Peter 30 years 
prior to this and then see Peter writing this letter, we see the massive transformation that has happened in his heart. How has it happened? Through the words of Christ. Through the study, the diligent study of those times in Peter's past when he was part of the ministry of Jesus. And as he listened to the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, as he studied those and he studied the words of Jesus, Peter says, I have a living hope. Folks, I want us to have a living hope. It comes through being people of the book. So that's one application. The second application is something we introduced you to on Friday night as part of our worship and prayer time with Pastors Joe and Pastor Scott. And that's the stories page that we have been um, busily constructing over this season. And you can find those stories at fouroakskalarn.com slash stories. And it's an awesome opportunity to go and watch the testimonies of, listen and watch the testimonies of God's people and be stirred up to remember your own salvation, to rejoice in your salvation. And my prayer and encouragement as you go on, as you watch those stories, and we encourage you, um, if you have a story to submit, to submit a story. But as you and I do that, this will be water for our souls for this season. That as we're reading the Word of God, soaking, marinating in it, as we're hearing the stories of how God's saints and people have been transformed by the Word, that you and I will grow to not just know intellectually and theologically, but to know by experience, by relationship, by communion with Jesus Christ, this amazing living hope that Peter tells us about.